Trigger on! Welcome to your all to the Dark Face Diaries. We are a World Trigger read-through podcast aiming to discuss the World Trigger manga volume by volume. I'm Wednesday Dale Cheddar. And I'm Hoven with an H. And this time we are covering volume 24 of World Trigger, which covers chapters 206 to 213. Yeah, it's been a long time. It's been a long hiatus. I've recently re-listened to the last episode and we're still talking about The Office. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember when we watched The Office? It feels like such a long time ago. It does feel like a while ago now, yeah. No, I'm currently in Zelda Hell. Uh, Tears of the Kingdom, the sequel to Breath of the Wild has come out and it has sucked my soul into it. Hell, you're saying? I thought that you've had quite a good experience with that. Okay, Zelda Heaven, probably better. But yeah, because it's kind of interesting because what they've done is because they've already built everything from the ground up, it's just like, okay, what would happen if we remixed that overworld and then added an entire new game's worth of stuff into it? And it's just kind of amazing how many dopamine hits of exploring things I get from it, especially from just walking around the overworld I already have and be like, ooh, it's a cave! And then as the notification goes, discovery! A cave! And I'm like, I can explore the cave! And then every single well in in the kingdom suddenly has a cave underneath it. So these things that I just kind of ignored and walked past in the last game, I'm like, oh, I need to go inside the well! And it's completely poisoned my ability to think about wells rationally in any other fiction. It's like I see them walking past a well in Vinland Saga and I'm like, oh, you should jump into that and find the cave. Uh, (laughs) Obviously there is none. Yeah, well, when you explore it in Vinland Saga. The famous open world video game Vinland Saga. Because the characters actually listen to your advice and they jump into the well and they're like, what the hell, Hoven? I thought that there would be a well. You promised me a well, but there isn't a well. Yeah, see, uh, Netflix's follow-up to Black Mirror Bandersnatch is quite an ambitious work. It's an interactive anime version of Vinland Saga. It's like, no, do not beat your slave. (laughs) You got the good ending. I need to read Vinland Saga, and you need to read Good Ending. Good Ending? Uh, I'm already thinking of reading 20th Century Boy, though. Which do you want? Oh, yeah. Mm, Probably 20th Century Boy, so we can listen to the podcast that I recorded with Manga Mavericks and Aiden slash at Boy on Twitter, a lettering expert. Yeah, I've I've had quite some fun recording two podcasts. One will be on the main feed, I believe, and one will be on the bonus feed about 20th Century Boys and then about the live action adaptation. Either overseen or directed by the mangaka i actually forget that would be interesting directed by the mangaka there was definitely a lot of control over it because 20th century boys is in itself very cinematic and it was quite funny getting all the comparisons in the manga that felt really timeless as in how basically there was a worldwide pandemic and people in the totalitarian state presented by the manga were kind of handling it much better than we were in the real world. It's (laughs) wild. So yeah, I'd really recommend listening to that. But today we are going to talk about volume 24 of World Trigger, drawn and written, as always, by Daisuke Ashihara, translated by Caleb Cook, lettering done, I believe, by Ace Cool Chrisman, designed by Julian J.R. Robinson, and edited by Rafos and Jack Carillo Concordia. So yeah, today we're going to do things a little differently, as we established in the last episode. We're not going to do an extensive summary, 
Instead, we're going to synopsize what happened basically in the volume, and then we're immediately going to move on to the discussion proper with light spoilers all around because we're past the anime, and whoever's reading this along with us has probably read towards the end already. So, yeah. Let's go, Johnny. Go, 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 go. Let's do that, yeah. When we last left our heroes, they were sorted into provisional teams, mixed together from the various B-rank squads, with a few A-rankers interspersed for the away mission tests. Now, the A-rank squads must judge these new teams as they enter the sealed environment phase of the proceedings, with little knowledge of even the criteria of the trials they are to undertake. How will the test participants navigate the Byzantine rules and restrictions of the first phase? Which teams will gel smoothly, and which may find more friction in each other than they bargained for? And can Ikoma leverage panel real estate to assert that he is the ultimate male wife? <laughs> find out all this and more on this exciting installment of The Border Agent's Guide to the Neighborhood. Okay, I would like to know why you chose to read that in your Marek Ishtar cleric voice. <laughs> I was trying to do the narrator from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> uh, still yet to listen to the radio show. Okay, so, well, this has been a different experience, like plot-wise, genre-wise, and preparation-wise. So since I did the summary like half a year ago, I wrote it out and I'm probably going to publish the joint summary together for volume 24 and 25 on patreon.com slash Cheddar. So usually I'm struggling to keep all the important information in the summary while my random observations can be brief. Well, this time I was able to write the summary as freely as I could, pick and choose which story notes were crucial and which could be omitted. But the notes were 80% random observations. <laughs> Shall I go into my general thesis mm -hmm. on the volume? Yeah, go on. Okay, so... This is a very dense volume, especially in its early chapters, with so much to set up. And even as someone who's been marinating in this series, I did find the first third of this volume a bit of a chore to get through. But the volume does settle nicely once we start to see the differing team dynamics form themselves and they actually get into the sealed environment. So I have a bit of a diatribe here, because initially I was going to write something along the lines of, uh, you know, giving the A-rankers something tangible to lose or gain from the pre-test discussion could have been a welcome thing, kind of tying on from my point that I made in our recap of the last volume, and even hypothesized, well, you know, the top brass could literally drop us from the array mission roster if they don't feel like it, just to make the judgment section feel a bit more acquired. And then I went on to be like, oh yeah, but Somei's hypothesis does go some way to alleviate this, but it comes much later on than the first day rank team meeting and you know once again the intent is there but Ashihara falls a bit short in setting audience expectations but then it kind of hit me Somei's answer is essentially the manga justifying its own self-analysis the levels of learning and adaptation go to every level of border the applicants the a rankers judging them and the top bra so why are we showing the border executives commenting on the answers because how they internalise the result of this test affects how Borders is going to be run going forwards. This is fuel for their own internal discussion of Border, not just of the exam itself and the immediate goal. Also something of note, we don't see the commentary on the responses to the test themselves. So yeah, I think I do have a lot more clarity here on why we're cutting away to them and what the narrative purpose of that is. So yeah, 
um, it's it's pretty interesting. Even if I think, again, the first section of this volume is sort of weighed down by the fact that it just has to be so much information dumping in such a close proximity. Mm. Yeah, I was going to respond to your point from the previous podcast as well about the border self-theorizing bit from the last volume. So I think the border staff part, yeah, was used effectively on day one as a highlight reel of valuable and funny insights from the agents. And I do get your point about the upper management thoughts being more effective at the end of the test. I believe that's something you said last time. But when you think about it, do you really want them to cover seven days worth of material in like three months? (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. Again, because we've already got so much up front, it feels like a lot of the self-theorizing is the manga covering a lot of information in a more Mm -hmm. economical way. Yeah, I think if Ashihara does need to cover these thoughts, I prefer it spruce up between the day so it can be neatly split between volumes. And there's nothing to stop him from summarizing and then being like, so yes, as some of you guessed, it was this. And it could just be like a sentence to summarize the things that they've explained in more depth mm-hmm. earlier and then move on. Yeah, yeah. so that's basically that. To bring it to the very setup, this is the most Kami-san volume so far. The away mission test gives me the vibe of the school trip in a Slice of Life series, which is a vibe that I end up liking. If we must ask the question why the away mission test happened in the first place, I think one thing we should discuss is the art. So Ashihara, we have mentioned many times, has chronic physical health conditions and talking heads are very easy to draw. Plus, then we move on in the other days to chibi-fied action scenes in the battle sim, plus he's taking additional shortcuts. Like, in the first chapter of this volume, I don't know if you noticed, but the same panel of Netsuki on screen is reused like five times, which I thought was great when I noticed that. (laughs) I was laughing so hard. Plus, yeah, there's a lot of flashback panels here, which Ashihara's analytical style lends itself well to that. Ashihara's art can be great, but it has never really been the draw for me of this series. To be honest, I've always kind of treated art in it and most sequential storytelling as the vessel of the story being told. And if the vessel suffers in how dynamic it is i treat it as secondary so i understand it may not be for most people but this is my viewpoint on the matter because my priorities lie elsewhere and yeah it's a trade-off we get world trigger at least but this is the world trigger we get some people don't like it but hey it entertains and interests me and it puts the pressure off ashihara's health which is nice it certainly doesn't make the story communicated any less clear i think it conveys (laughs) what it needs to convey and you know that's more than some manga can say i mean you look at fucking boruto and how the sequential storytelling in that is so poor and so opaque so many fucking speed lines <laughs> day one of the tests is very tightly fit into this volume which i like a lot that these volumes tend to fit one day of the away mission tests each into them day one of the test was kind of trial by fire for me in other places so if you recall from my twitter threads on the first reads it was mostly because of the osamu torture porn <laughs> i remember clearly reading the depleted Tryon chapter and being like okay so is this going to be an arc or is this ashihara indulging his degradation kink with osamu as a self-insert but yeah in the long run that did end up being a very cool moment where we have Osamu solving a problem in a very mundane but very smart way by coming up with the solution of taking the photo and jotting it down, which actually kind of turned a bad situation into a good one since it gave them a really good means of 
taking care of assignment questions out of hours going forward. So it's ultimately swung around to become kind of a benefit. Much to Katori's chagrin, who didn't want to do more homework. This arc for Katori has been amazing. We see the last shred of veneer that she had any kind of aloofness to her completely stamped out and her kind of butting heads with Osamu and Sua <laughs> and throwing all of these childish tantrums yeah. <laughs> is just great. So I do have a note on Rokuta, Rishima's operator. I don't know how it became one of my biggest notes in these random observations, but here we go. So it's very clear from the start that Rokuta has trouble with multitasking. Ashihara makes sure to provide the setup with two reminders of that in the same scene. So first it's her messing up while cooking and then her saying it's hard to talk and get the evaluator's attention while working on the assignments, doing those things at the same time. And then you kind of go, oh, no wonder she has just one combatant in her squad. They kind of needed each other. They were kind of perfect for each other in the squad setup because he wants money, right? So because Borders B-Rank rewards are commission-based based on how many Trion soldiers you kill, then the fewer people in a squad, the less to divvy up. And for Rokuta, it's much more easy to just have one combatant that she has to keep track of and focus on, which with her trouble with processing is quite nice. Yeah, that's a really cool detail. I also just love the fact that Hiroshima thinks he was being so slick and persuasive by prompting the stipend out of Kito. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, no, without me, we wouldn't have gotten that. Ah, you dumbass. <laughs> to go back to the Osamu solution to things, I almost have to wonder if physical documentation might actually end up being a thing on the away mission proper, though to what capacity it's implemented is anyone's guess. Like, just as a means of, oh, we can save Tryon if we just use physical pen and paper or like a typewriter or something. Mm. Yeah, I do wonder how much those laptops do use in comparison to just lights in general, because Osama was charging up all the appliances in the chamber, so of course that takes up a lot. On the matter of Ninamiya squad, I like how you see the seeds of their dysfunction here with the friction between Ninamiya and Aima. I really like how the arc provides a situation that puts his cold anime rival nature at a disadvantage and makes it more of a setback for him. Because when he's a rival, it's a good way of stealing himself and intimidating the competition. But now the dismissive comments he makes about Osamu and Chika, it does nothing to endear the provisional squad to him. Yeah. Because they don't know him. They don't have a functioning system with him like his team do. Ninamiya may well rule by sheer authority, but I wonder how long it's going to last. I expect new things from... Emma's arc during the test, how his and Ninamiya's relationship is going to change. There's already, as you said, the you don't have my respect bit. Another note, I just like how certain costume details, for example, Ninamiya's squad former members in each of their various provisional teams, they still have button-up shirts for their test uniforms. It matches with Oki still getting his hat and stuff like that. There's still little signifiers. I do love how fucking Squad 7 has NFT t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> they do look like that, don't they? <laughs> Netsuki fungible tokens. <laughs> I misread Kurosawa's note about Sue Squad having three captains being an advantage the first time. I guess it's more like them empathizing with the position of the captain rather than actually giving orders. Although later on in the battle sims, it actually is an advantage. So yeah, I guess maybe it's both. Mm, yeah. I do love that the Kako squad operator has mascara so big, it completely obscures her eyes. Her name is Kabayakawa, I think. 
I really like how some of the A-Rankers prediction conversation before the test starts, it essentially runs on Kinota, the question is how, logic. Well, you just assume that when it jumps between the swans, they've essentially been having the same talking point as the last one we left off on. <laughs> it was surprising to learn how Ninomiya squad used to be A-Rank number four before the demotion to B-Rank, and Kageura used to be A-Rank squad number six. From what Kuruma says, no, we're not in Kuruma's squad. It's not Murakami, is it? Um, no, he has the one with Kuma guy. See, yeah, that's the thing. Even though I've settled in more, I still can't remember every single squad. Uh, okay, if you go to the actual volume preview mm -hmm. in the Shonen Jump app, the listed at the beginning of the volume, so it's, it's uh, Kakizaki squad, yeah. That's interesting as well, because he's got a squad with two people butting heads, and Kakizaki, he wants to be a good sort of instructor to juniors, a good source of guidance, but he has to deal with much more combative team members now, which is probably quite the contrast to Teruya and Tomoe. It's nice that in the first part, when we end off the draft picks, because it's always about the draft pick, always has been. Draft picks, draft picks. We got a panel for Kageura getting uncomfortable with the judging eyes of the A ranks. I thought that was a nice detail. Tokieda being like, Yuma was raised abroad. Nod, wink to the camera. <laughs> Yeah, we get all of the wonderful details of who's in on the neighbour <laughs> lie and who isn't. And of course, Hughes' amazing lie where he's talking about how Canadians never actually share a bed together. It's uh, fiction from TV programmes. <laughs> See, last episode, we mistook Kusakabe for Katagiri. And now I have a note on Katagiri Squad. And I'm not sure if it's the right one, but I'm going to go with it anyway. <laughs> this might be talking about Kusakabe either way. When Katagiri Squad lists off the problem with Suji, finding girls intimidating, I love the graph with the labels girl for Hikari and Abishima, guy for Ikoma, and prince for Oji. Like, ah yes. The third gender! The three genders. Uh, the little doodles that they do around all the tokens are yes. a big highlight of this volume. I don't know if I'm a dumb lion or our <laughs> for Ninomiya's token, or I am a dumb dumb for Osano are the standout panels of this volume. <laughs> They're so good. I think it's Kanijika scribbling on like the price of adults and children, which made me think that she's a human trafficker. <laughs> I think my favorite joke of the volume was Konami saying that Hughes is a spoiled baby boy. <laughs> Hughes just standing there in front of the broken microwave with crossed arms and being like, there, you fix it, Felix. It's gonna be interesting to see whether the personalized triggers are just there to easily interface with the test things, or if in phase two there's some kind of additional payoff to them, where maybe there'll be a few curveballs, like if they're planning to sporadically deploy completely different triggers to certain participants, depending on their performance in phase one, just to throw them off mm. and see like, okay, how are you going to work with something completely new on the fly? Although I don't know if they'll do that, because I'm not sure what it would be testing for the away mission. Maybe I guess if the idea of like, oh, you lose your trigger on another planet and you need to temporarily use a different one. But yeah, maybe it's a bit of a stretch. Speaking of people who had to learn how to use different triggers. So Tokieda can't mention Yuma's origin, but Scruffy Hottie can mention Hughes's horns just like that. I guess maybe it's like Tokieda being careful because he's on the PR squad. I mean, yeah, I guess 
Tamakoma probably, there's a level of trust between their members of, yeah, we all know we're on the secret and it's fine. And I guess there's a little bit more unease about the subject on Arashiyama's. You mentioned the notes and the doodles. This is obviously not a jab at Ace since he had to base the font on what was there in the original. But it amuses me to think that all the A ranks have the same handwriting. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, it's so cumbersome to just, oh, we need to show a variety of different handwritings and have it all be legible. So, yeah, it's necessary streamlining, I think. I like how Mizukami Squad's introduction is so nonchalant with the foreknowledge that his tactic will really shape things up in the early rounds of the test. You see the early seeds of it here with him just deleting some info from the shared document on the MOBA game that they'll all end up playing. Mm, yeah, it's very interesting. I really like what they do with Mizukami later. Arashiyama Squad's notes on Mizukami makes me think Satori's a eugenicist. Yeah, IQ and the like. I like Katori's comment of, you should have gone with Kitora instead, because like, ah oh yes, the agent with the anagram of my name, that would be the logical mental leap, of course. Basically, the same character as me, but slightly different and also less popular. Is Katori kind of a do-over for Kitora, because Kitora hmm. wasn't popular in the rankings? Perhaps. Yeah, this is Ashihara being like, why didn't you pick my first character, audience? Scruffy Hot, he doesn't change his expressions at all. So when he's confused or he has a question, he has to have a question mark that indicates that above his mm. head. The Trion usage for the draft picks is a really interesting bit of recontextualization. Even the seemingly random element of the test isn't as random as it appears. It's all much more manipulated than we first imagined. Even so, I don't know how hacking the order of the lottery would have given Border admins the freedom to predict who everyone chooses. Siwa was one step away from picking Kitora himself, so... It hmm, may have been, know. like, a broader idea of, okay, we want to give certain captains more of an advantage at this stage, and then seeing how the teams are shaking up, it's like, okay, we want to give this one more of an advantage this time. It might not have been down to the wire of, we know exactly what people are going to pick, but there is kind of a broader spin to how each round's lots come out. I've just realised how Hughes' story of being Canadian is so easy to poke <laughs> holes in. If only someone in Border shows him something to read in English or French. Also, I do hope that in the World Trigger world I would have high trying levels, otherwise Ryan bodies would make my interpreting skills obsolete. I like that we're seeing a lot of the more, to go back to Katori, her Sundere sides. The fact that despite the cold shoulder she gives her squad, she's willingly go on the away mission with them and them alone. And also just it plays into what Suwa was saying. It's like, as long as she's talking, she's in a good mood. She doesn't always say exactly what she means. I love that Katori goes like, oh, I don't even want to go on the away mission, <laughs> Barker. And then once Suwa's like, nah, you're not going to be chosen. <laughs> Yeah, she's like, wait, wait, no, no, I, I do want to go. <laughs> yeah, he gets a lot of comedic mileage out of the underplayed reaction images. Like, the little, oh, right, <laughs> reaction panel when Katori mid-tantrum realises she will, in fact, get a private room. <laughs> Yuri is officially listed as the Tamakoma 1 operator yeah. now. I wonder if Isami then officially dropped to Tamakoma 2. Yeah, that might be the case. Because, although here she is just on broader away mission test duty anyway, so she's not going to have to deal with them for a while as a unit. So this volume confirms that Harasawa is Schwein from Trigger Keeper and Superdog Reliantel. Mm. Because, well, first of all, he's way too into child labour when he tells the story of an 
elementary schooler becoming a business consultant. Second of all, oh wait, that elementary schooler who's the business consultant is Annie from Superdog Renyanto. Hey, another underplayed reaction that I really liked is the look that Osanu and Yuba give each other after suggesting that the squad switch up is just an icebreaker, just the hands on hips and like the smug grin. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that Kanichika's point of view of Osanu is, oh yeah, I guess he appeared on TV that one time. <laughs> she was gaming so hard she didn't even notice him coming in all those times to train with Yuiga. <laughs> Ikoma being like, please make this a festival. Like, oh my god, heck yeah, can't wait for Box Fest. It's probably the appropriate sort of venue for his music, really. Like, you have your designated box, you can have your performer live, but for everyone else, you just get the sounds of it through like a dinky speaker. It's like you can phone each other up and be like, this is Ikoma's concert. And you just hear the really garbled audio of Ikoma's guitar playing. <laughs> <laughs> I thought your implication was, yeah, there would be no one to listen to Ikoma's music unless you lock them up in a box. <laughs> no, I mean, they're already locked into boxes. So we had an earlier question about Triumph bodies and food. And I guess Sua answers our question. Yes, they do need to eat when they're in Triumph bodies, but less so. That's just how it is. Kodara's array of A-rank evaluation points is like a D&D &D stat array. It's like, oh, you got an 8 here, you got an 18 here, the others who's are like... 14. It's like, yeah, this, this, yeah, this is the D&D stats after a couple of ASIs. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Is that a motherfucking Poland reference in, in the yeah. geographical assignment? <laughs> I thought you'd pick up on that. Yeah, there's Poland and Belgium, I believe. Oh, I hope Osama gave the right answer, because if not, oof, I will be very disappointed. Speaking of D&D, &D, Oki deciding to recharge the trying gauge before sleeping has the same energy as me conjuring up good berries and using all my spell slots to do so before a long rest in D&D. &D. Every stage of this test encourages min-maxing to the utmost that you can manage. Ah, oh, yes, it's perfect for yes. me. I guess it, it makes complete sense, but this pretty much confirms that Terashima is considered on par with A-rankers as far as his role in test evaluation goes. Because I just think of him as just having a high-up job at Border. I don't really think of him in relation to other Asians in terms of the hierarchy. Oh, yeah. That's the Cartman engineer. Yes. Right. He seems to be friends mostly with the people who hang around the board administration. Mm. So I'm assuming on top of being the lead engineer, he's kind of an administration candidate as well. I was quite a fan of the A-rankers notes on the testees. Mm. So Konami's is the best. Great way to boost morale, <laughs> idiot. <laughs> when she makes a note of the two neighbours saying that, oh yeah, everyone can die during the mission, so we might have to rearrange squads on the fly. Ryuji from Kusakabe Squad is unexpectedly hyper. From my perspective, he looked like a serious character, but he's a big goofball. This volume has a weirdly perfect endpoint again. After a while of having quite frequently just things just aligning, we just wrap up with the squads getting settled in. Like you said, it just fully covers the first day. And then we tease the upcoming esports shenanigans. So that's nice. Yeah, it does tend to be like that. Like the next volume is kind of the same way. I do like OG's note on his strategy, benefiting a specific type of fighting style. It's a good example of how, while you generally want to go for a good combination of close, mid and long range fighters, sometimes specialization can optimize a squad's performance. And again, his original squad also was very much focused on, on running quickly, so on mobility. OG also has been highlighted twice for his thinking outside the box. So it's going 
going to be interesting seeing a character this eccentric in an administration position in the future. This away mission test is unfortunately very much a sausage fest. Honestly, if the goal was to make some potential captains shine, why not choose Kumagai or Hana? Like Hana especially, <laughs> because they raise the point that while mashing up the squads, they might have chosen the provisional captains to train up the next generation of captains of the future. I guess Lido and the others are conservative, so... Yeah. I mean, I guess the implication there is that potential captains could be anyone. It could just be a person who shows strong initiative and leadership and has a strong mind towards it. Like, you know, Karasawa is even like, yeah, she could be admin material. So it might be a bit less rigid than it initially seems. I do like that note about Soma. Any highlight of hers that we see is quite nice. I'm always very interested to see where her character goes, as I mentioned in Volume 17. And I think that's all my notes from this volume. Do you have anything else? Nope, that's me covered. Shall we move to the Q&A section? Yeah, it's time for us to finish judging the judgment of the judgment of the judgment. All right. So, uh, we got one question uh, from the World Trigger server from Blaze World, who asks, when's the anime getting season four? Now, I guess to start off with, we are not Shueisha. We do not have <laughs> any control over how this happens or any kind of news pipeline beyond what's publicly available. Uh, however, I thought it'd be fun to do a little thought experiment here mm -hmm. to predict how long it could be before season four happens. I'm going to go under the assumption that I want a completed arc to work with. So use a potential endpoint of the away mission tests as a kind of measuring stick for this. I will warn listeners to skip ahead if you want to avoid psychic damage, uh, as <laughs> estimating story milestones in World Trigger on a real-life timescale is sort of like contemplating the entropy of the universe for too long. You can do it, but it'll probably just cause you needless despair, and it's, it's perhaps inadvisable. Oh no! <laughs> I have to listen to this! <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, I, I took a sample size and I divided it up, and we're getting about 12 chapters per year. So, to combine the different days, on day one of this, it's 206 to 213, it's seven chapters. I guess 207, really. But, like, so seven chapters. Day two is 214 to 223, which is ten chapters. And we're currently on day three, which is 224 to 232, and ongoing, as of the time of recording. We've got another set of chapters due in five days time and day three we're on match six out of ten so it's likely that we'll have a few more chapters now the likelihood here is probably just that the amount of chapters per day is just going to fluctuate wildly however this isn't the realistic way of doing things that factors in story this is the pure maths data version of this prediction so i'm just gonna say that we keep going up by three chapters per round so day three will have 14 and we'll probably end on chapter 236 and then to continue this day four we'll have 16 chapters and end at chapter 252 day five we'll have 19 chapters and end at 271 <laughs> day six we'll have 22 chapters and end at 293 and day seven we'll have 25 chapters and end at 318 we can assume that there'll be like a new formula going into phase two because it's the battle phase of things which will have a completely different setup so let's just take the average for the prior phases of 16 chapters per day although i think it's likely that phase two's days will both be much longer and the latter phase one days will actually be far shorter so this kind of compensates for that 
and that will mean that, that day one ends at chapter 334 and day two ends at chapter 350. I'm guessing I've massively overshot here, so I'm not going to add anything to account for in between phases or post Dark Daniel Mall. Mm -hmm. So let's assume that this June comes out with two chapters, which I believe some news comes out that it's going to be two chapters. So we'll be on chapter 234 next month. That's going to be 116 chapters left of the Away Mission test. So accounting for our rate of release, that's nine years and eight months left of serialization. Season two came out about a year after the final B-Rank Wars match for Tamakoma 2, and seasons two and three were announced as a consistent production, so it's fair to lump them in together. So I think my final figure is about 10 years. That is my estimate for season four. Oh, However, there's also an alternative and much simpler calculation, because we've had a new volume cover out. It's for volume 26, which shows... Gikuchihara's and Somei's team, and they're not particularly relevant to the volume in question. They're not that prominently featured in the chapters. So this makes me think that Ashihara does just plan to do one volume for each of the teams. So if he plans to do each provisional team for a volume cover, that'll be eight more. So that's 72 more chapters, which, assuming that volume 26 covers up to chapter 232, takes us up to about chapter 304, which seems a bit more reasonable. Under this estimate, it's going to be more like six or seven years from now until season four uh, as a possibility. It makes sense because it's, I'm assuming that it's going to be at least one team per volume cover per day and the other four remaining ones will be for the in-between stuff and the battle test. So yeah, those are my thoughts on when the anime might get a season four. Pretty oh much. my god, <laughs> I'll be 40. <laughs> yeah, it's why you just don't want to think about it, do you? It's much more enjoyable to just take these things as they come and just enjoy the manga as it goes. <laughs> I need to sit down a little. I don't know how to follow that. My estimation was maybe, I guess, five or six years because that was the gap between season one and season two. No, uh, season one, season two was seven years. Yeah. But yeah, um, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> We will. This is also when the next podcast is going to come out. Hey, Shall we go to the round-off? Mm -hmm. Let's do the round-off. So, this is going to do it for the 24th episode of Duckface Diaries. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search for Duckface Diaries and we'll be there. I would say Anchor, but Anchor doesn't exist anymore. While we were on hiatus, it disappeared and became Spotify bloody hostile takeovers links to all the platforms are at patreon.com slash cheddar everything is in the pin post i should make a link tree if i make it a link tree it will let android hindsight add this here everything is in the pin post that's also what helps me pay the bills so if you want us to devote more time to making the show better consider supporting us there in return you can get your name in the youtube credits or a world trigger dogface avatar Plus, you can help me reach more ambitious goals like doing a special podcast to cover the anime filler arc or covering the rest of Border Briefing File. Remember that much like the neighborhood, the YouTube algorithm is a dark abyss of sorrows and woes from which channels like these never surface, and what helps us navigate it is liking, subscribing, and sharing the podcast with a friend. On the YouTube channel and the same RSS feed, you get access to not only Darkface Iris but Manga Mosaic, uh, podcasts and video essays on other manga titles, short and long alike. 
on the same channel and wherever you listen to your podcast and wherever you search for Podcast Mon Adventures, you can listen to Podcast Mon Adventures, our new retrospective where we cover the Pokemon special manga, arc by arc, along with the host of the Pink Isle pod, Henry Kathman. I believe last time we released the special episode on the Yellow arc with our special guest, Ace Chrisman, letterer of both of the series we cover, so please do check that out. We always love having Ace on the recording. You could say it's rather ace. Hoven, where can people find you? People can find me on Twitter <laughs> at Hoven with an H. Uh, follow me there to have your Twitter feed completely spammed with retweets of art of Pura from Tears of the Kingdom. Because, my god, Nintendo, <laughs> you've made a targeted attack on my fictional character preferences. Well done. And once again, you can find all the links to that in the description or in the pin post at patreon.com slash Cheddar. Send us emails, questions, comments, suggestions at wednesdaydale 12 at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at Dogface Diaries or individual Twitters at Cheddar and at Hoven with an H. Also follow Podcast More Adventures at Podcast More Manga. A sincere thank you to Milo Jack Sillitz for composing music for us, an orchestral rendition of Girigiri, the first opening sequence of World Trigger, and an orchestral rendition of Ashitano Hikari, the second opening sequence for the show in question. You can find his work at soundcloud.com slash Milo Jack Sillitz. What are we covering next time? Next time, we're covering volume 25 of World Trigger, which covers chapters 214 to 223. Alright, once again, right now, the monthly schedule is not certain. The episodes come out whenever they do come out, because I've had to give the editing reins to Hoven, and we don't want him crunching on any of these. We want to devote as much time as we need to making the podcast the best they are, which, uh, yeah, I'm very grateful for. Thank you. This one, I mean, just looking at the time code, it's like, oh, this is not nearly as overwhelming as the last one. So that's refreshing. Yeah. Right, so this was the 24th episode of Duck Face Diaries, and as always, it's time to bugger, bugger off! off.